This is Rob Sepich, and welcome to Relaxing with Rob. I would like to share my favorite sleep strategies with you today. These are ones that I've used with college students over the years, and I've also shared with many others with great success. I would often have clients referred to me by medical and mental health professionals for insomnia. And after just a session or two of these kinds of ideas, their problems were resolved. This won't work for everybody, but my guess is if you have trouble falling asleep or staying asleep, these will work for you. But please remember, this is not medical advice. This is not a substitute for you seeing a medical or mental health professional for sleep problems. So especially if you're struggling with something for more than a couple of weeks, get professional help. But in the meantime, you might want to try an idea or two that I'll share with you today and see if they help. In a previous podcast called Bonus, Fall Asleep Faster, I shared a technique that has helped a lot of people fall asleep where you are able to focus on something neutral or positive to the gentle exclusion of distractions. You still notice thoughts and feelings and sounds and sensations, but you just gently come back. It could be to your breath, to an image of waves on a lake or leaves on a stream or clouds in a sky, anything that represents impermanence. And those distractions tend to fade much more easily than if you try to clear your mind. And if you'd like to hear that and you haven't yet, feel free to give that a listen. But in this podcast, I'm not going to be sharing a relaxation exercise, but rather strategies that have helped. The National Sleep Foundation recommends that adults ages 18 to 65 get from seven to nine hours of sleep per night. And those over 65 get about seven to eight hours of sleep a night. I think a really helpful criteria also is to check in with yourself and ask, do I awaken most mornings with energy prior to being caffeinated? And by mid-afternoon on most days, am I fine without feeling an urge to take a nap? And if that's you, you're probably getting enough sleep. These needs really do vary, and some people can get by on less. So don't pay too much attention to some outliers who might do just fine on six hours, because that's really not normal. And even if you do get by on less than the recommended amount, it's usually at a price. That price might be subtle. It might be in a slightly slowed reaction time, or an inability to retain information quite as well as if you got enough sleep. And on a day-to-day basis, it might not be that detectable, but over time it can be significant. And certainly even a 500 millisecond slower reaction time at 70 miles an hour could be quite significant. So I think sometimes we delude ourselves by thinking, oh, I'm fine on just a few hours of sleep because there is a price we pay and we do accumulate a sleep debt that's pretty hard to pay back. So here are my ideas. The first one is something that I alluded to briefly in the bonus exercise, and this is to not try to sleep. In my experience, it is the most important strategy to use, and I'll show you how. The two most common ways I think that we try to sleep is we time check from bed. You might be looking at your phone every few minutes. You might be looking at an old-fashioned clock. 
If you're in a residence hall room and can see your microwave from your bed, you might be checking that time out. The more that we're checking the time, the more we're calculating. Okay, still awake. Well, if I fall asleep in the next 10 minutes, I could still get six and a half hours. Okay, go. And then some time passes and we check and clearly it didn't work. And we say, all right, but I can get uh, five and a half hours if I'm asleep in the next eight minutes. Okay, go. And again, it makes sleep a performance, which it definitely is not. And the harder you're trying to fall asleep, the worse it gets. So discontinuing time checking is an important way to not try to sleep. The way to psychologically not try to sleep is to change how you're thinking about your bed. View your bed as a place to relax, a place for comfort, for peace, not a place to fall asleep fast. And by shifting the equation in that way, you'll probably fall asleep much faster because you're just getting into bed to rest or relax. By not ostensibly trying to fall asleep, most people do then fall asleep much faster. Next, it's important not to multitask in bed. Just reserve your bed for sleep or sex. Other things like studying or scrolling through social media or eating or watching Netflix or arguing with a partner or a roommate all combine to make sleep more difficult because your bed then gets associated with behaviors that do not promote sleep. Ideally, be in a different room when you're studying or doing work, but if space is a premium, at least sit in a chair or on a futon in your bedroom rather than in your bed itself. This next one is a really difficult one for most college students, most young professionals, certainly for most parents, but that's establish a regular schedule. Whenever you've seen this advice online, it's probably, you're like, yeah, right. But it takes about one day per time zone for us to adapt. So if you do have an opportunity to sleep in like an extra three hours, it might take three days before you're back on that schedule, only to then shift to a different one within a day or two. And it's normal then to feel pretty groggy in the mornings or have a really difficult time falling asleep at night if you hadn't accumulated much sleep debt and were able to sleep in. I think Sunday nights are just about the most common night for insomnia, partly because we may have been able to sleep in. And then also psychologically, we might have to face the facts that we didn't get all this work done over the weekend that we thought we might. So having a consistent wake time is actually more important than a consistent bedtime. But ideally, keeping them both within an hour or so, seven days a week, not five days a week, can really help promote sleep. Having a bedtime routine is extremely helpful. Having a non-electronic bedtime routine is even better. So sleep experts recommend no screen time for two hours before bed. I told most college students that I would have been laughed out of my office if I would have suggested that with a straight face, but I think even 15 minutes can be helpful. For example, once you're finished with your phone, put it down out of reach to charge, and then wash your face, brush your teeth, maybe do a little bit of light reading just from a print medium. And what happens is through classical conditioning, your brain starts to check out 
because you're gradually unwinding and each behavior gets more closely connected ultimately with being asleep. But if you're too efficient with your time and at a certain hour you just decide, I'm going to bed and you stop abruptly, I think that's too quick and our mind kind of rebounds and we need time to process the day and night. So winding down and doing about the same thing every night can really help. If you can avoid alcohol and caffeine for quite a few hours before bed, you will probably sleep much better. Caffeine as a stimulant can keep you awake much longer than you might think. It has a half-life of about three to seven hours, so it could be in your bloodstream long after you think it has faded. And alcohol is a central nervous system depressant, so it can certainly help promote sleep, but when it wears off, your quality of sleep, or what experts call sleep architecture, does get impaired, so it's not as restorative, and you don't get nearly the REM sleep that you want, especially for mental health. And I'm not even talking about risks of tolerance or dependence. So being very careful with stimulants and depressants, and especially for several hours before bed, can improve the quality of your sleep. I'd like to say a cautious word about medications. And I want to remind you, as I said earlier in this episode, that I'm not a healthcare provider, and I would like you to talk to your professional for information on medication if that's something you want to pursue. But my reading of the medical literature is that whether it's over-the-counter or prescription medication, there's not much evidence that says they help you fall asleep faster than placebo. They do often have an amnesic effect where we forget that we struggle to fall asleep and we think we slept better than we did, but it may have only sped up the sleep onset time by about seven or eight minutes. Even if medication is not chemically addictive, psychologically, we might start thinking, I have to have my Tylenol PM or my melatonin. And then you're traveling, you're at somebody else's place, you realize you don't have it, and you'll conclude, I won't be able to sleep. I don't have my Tylenol PM or my melatonin. And you know what? You're right. You won't be able to. Instead, if you think, "Ah, this is a natural process, as long as I'm not trying to sleep, as long as I'm just aiming to be comfortable or peaceful, as long as I can just train my attention on something neutral, like my breath, or like a peaceful, calming image, the odds are overwhelming that you will be asleep much faster than if you're trying to sleep. For people who add regular exercise to their routine, if they've had insomnia, are surprised how often their sleep problems disappear. And I think it's because, evolutionarily speaking, It's pretty recent in our lives that we've had the privilege of sitting for most of the day, and our bodies just aren't that tired. So physically being able to burn some calories, raise our metabolism, uh, ideally aerobically as well as strength training and flexibility are all really helpful. But for sleep, aerobic in particular seems to be helpful to uh, promote sleep onset and sleep quality. I'd like to say a word about awakening in the middle of the night. First of all, it's normal. Sleep historians, and yes, there's such a specialty, have noted what has been called in the literature first sleep, 
and second sleep, often punctuated by a couple of hours of wakefulness. It's very recent that we have had the safety and the privilege of getting about eight hours of solid, uninterrupted sleep. And I think the sleep industry is kind of selling us a bill of goods to expect us to have that every night without difficulty. And if we're not getting it, there's a product to buy uh, to help ensure that. So if you do wake up in the middle of the night, please don't check the time. That's what we usually do. And then unfortunately, we don't just note, huh, went to bed at 11, it's 2, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> Back to sleep. No, it's like, I went to bed at 11, it's 2 o'clock, what's wrong with me? It's the middle of the night, I'm wide awake. And then we try everything to fall asleep. And before you know it, it's 2.30. And now it's 3. And now you're really calculating when the alarm's going to go off. What I'd like to suggest is you just recognize it's probably the end of a sleep cycle. We roll over, fall back to sleep. It doesn't mean a thing unless we start thinking. If you want to have a sip of water, do that. If you need to use the bathroom, do that. But by just saying something like, ah, cool, it still seems dark out. I don't have to get up yet. This is actually a good thing. This is a reminder that I'm off duty. I'm getting back into bed just to rest or to relax or to appreciate my breath. And you will be back to sleep much faster than if you start calculating. Well, I hope a couple of these strategies are worth employing and testing out for yourself to see if they can help you resolve some sleep issues. Thank you for listening. And we'll talk again soon.